All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Friday, the Friday before Memorial Day. I hope you have a plan to do something special this weekend. Call a veteran. Let them know you thank them for their service, that you're thinking of them. We live in an era where the VA is increasingly becoming dysfunctional again. We live in an era where military suicides are at record highs, taking a toll as grave as that taken on the battlefield. And there is nothing like the human contact from a friend, a family member saying, hey, veteran, hey, thank you. Thank you for what you did. So on behalf of the Justin News family, for everyone who has served and the families that have supported those who serve, my deepest heartfelt thanks. And of course, for those who lost loved ones on the battlefield, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, that ultimately is what this holiday is about. We thank you and we know that those wounds never go away. Maybe the passage of time takes some of this thing away, but we know the void that's left behind by a hero who has fallen, whether a he or she, it's lasting. And on this weekend and every day of our lives, we have the deepest heartfelt gratitude for your sacrifice and the sacrifice of your loved one. Happy Memorial Day. And may we never forget every single sacrifice made to keep this country free. There are so many great men and women who gave us the ultimate sacrifice so that we can enjoy things like doing a podcast. We couldn't do it without the freedom of this great country and all of the bloodshed that sustained it. We've got a great show for you today. First up, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, big leading Attorney General. He is on the front lines of the opioid settlements, a record settlement for his state recently, fighting fentanyl, which is one of the great scourges that bring the border crisis into every community in America, West Virginia, disproportionately affected by drug overdose deaths. We're going to talk about that. And he is working on a massive expansion of the administrative state in Washington, something you probably haven't heard of. The Securities and Exchange Commission is going all woke. They're going to environmental, social, and government's rules, a major expansion. It affects everything from farmers to businessmen to investors. It's not authorized by law. It's being done by executive fiat. And the Attorney General, Mr. Morrissey, is leading the charge with 15 other AGs, 
to fight this. It's the next big states' rights fight, the next big fight against big government in Washington. So we're going to talk to them about that. And then going into the Memorial Day holiday, we'd be remiss not to have a great conversation about the Veterans Administration, the frontline agency that tends to our veterans. It made a lot of improvements after the 2014 scandal, but there are growing signs it is creaking backwards, that it is slipping backwards with wait times, with some egregious cases involving VA fraud and VA abuse that have come up in the recent months. A very stark warning that the agency is not calculating wait times correctly, which, by the way, has a downstream effect on the health of veterans. We're going to discuss all that. No, by the way, Joe Biden was trying to take some resources away from VA, redeploy him to the border crisis he created. We're going to talk about that. Senator Ernst recently shined a big light on that. And Peter O'Rourke, the former VA secretary, is going to help us address all of those issues. Former chief of staff, former acting secretary, and a veteran himself of both the Navy and the Air Force here to talk about the state of serving our veterans, which should be foremost on our mind on this weekend, as it should be every weekend, every day. We owe our veterans the most that we can possibly deliver to them. So two great guests, Patrick Morrissey, Peter Rourke, right after this commercial message. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens 
can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Very proud to have this next guest on. He is leading the fight against fentanyl. He's leading the fight against opioid abuse. He's leading a fight against turning the Securities and Exchange Commission into the EPA. What's that about? Well, he's going to tell us all that. He is the Attorney General of the great state of West Virginia, Patrick Morrissey. General Morrissey, great to have you on today. Hey, John, it's great to be on your program. A lot of big things happening, but, you know, we, we're having a terrific week in West Virginia, and uh, we're just going. We still have a couple more days left. Uh, so everything's going well here, and appreciate being able to talk about these important issues. Oh, uh, you are doing so many important things. Let's start with a historic settlement with the opioid makers. For the state of West Virginia, $161.5 million. Tell us why that's important to your state. Absolutely. So West Virginia really was ground zero in the opioid uh, epidemic. Uh, Most people say it was the epicenter uh, because this is where uh, the pills proliferated. And what we found is that there were there's certainly a lot of fingers that you can point at everyone. And I'm not the guy that's going to tell you, oh, there's only one particular entity or one particular company that is to blame. The reality is that there were a host of different factors which led to West Virginia getting to this place. Uh, But what we did is we analyzed very much in depth the role of the manufacturers, the wholesalers, the pharmacies, the physicians, and the government. The government has its fair share of problems as well. And we proceeded to try to change that and make the fundamental changes to avoid this. One thing we found is that there were a number of misleading marketing practices, trying to convince people that these legal pain pills were not in fact addictive. And uh, as you know, and many people know, um, they are. And many people would go on these products and thereafter they would be hooked and they would go on fentanyl or heroin or meth or many other different types of products. And then West Virginia, the death just soared, number one in the nation in drug overdose deaths by a country mile. And I think that we work to hold these drug makers accountable for their misleading marketing practices and their failure to perform their duties. We've had $296 million worth of settlements over the last two months, and we're trying to do it right here in West Virginia, and also spend the money the right way, not throw it down the black hole uh, the way a lot of do-gooder liberal programs or states would. This is going to be money on the target uh, to help our state and citizens. 
Yeah, that's so important. I remember a statistic maybe a couple of years ago that uh, the uh, overdose uh, d- death rate in West Virginia was like two and a half times the rest of the country. I mean, it, you really were disproportionately uh, affected. Um, how is the best, I mean, as you guys start to envision how you're going to use this, the governor, you and others, what's the best way to use this money? How do you imagine it having the most impact back in your communities? Absolutely. So the, we've looked at this very closely, and what we found is, first of all, you have to target resources to those who need it most. So one of the first things that we're going to be doing is a needs assessment in every one of the communities and across the regions of the state so that you're not uh, pouring money in where it's not needed. So, for instance, if a community already has enough adequate beds or adequate mental health treatment, then you wouldn't, of course, try to double or triple that up. You try to focus on the other other aspects of the problem that are needed. So that needs assessment goes on. But broadly speaking, we're looking to tackle the problem holistically from a supply, a demand, and an educational perspective. So there may be areas of the state which could use additional resources for law enforcement. There are areas of the state that could use help in the transition when people get better in the head and the heart. How are they being reintroduced back into the workforce? There are parts of the state, I think the entire state would benefit from a broad education campaign so that we limit the number of people who go on not only the legal pain products, but who then may move to some of these other illicit products. And so it's going to be thoughtful, comprehensive. We are now at 51 of the 55 counties of West Virginia have approved the plan that we negotiated earlier this year. The legislature is going to come in and be involved and hopefully ratify uh, some aspects of this too, because this is the first comprehensive plan that will get funded in the state. And I think it's going to allow really really good things to be done for our state. Yeah, it, it sure is. And people are talking about the way you've done this as a model for the country because you've got community buy-in. Uh, it's a collaborative process and, and you're really taking a holistic approach to it. I've heard a lot of people praise the approach that you've taken, not only in getting the settlement, but in, in literally doling out this money and making sure that it has the most impact in a state that was so so devastatingly impacted by it. You talk a lot about uh, opioids, the legal opioid subscriptions. Ultimately, led to a lot of people going to the harder, badder stuff, the fentanyl, the um, the heroin and things like that. You are uh, ferociously fighting the fentanyl crisis. And I know you have a a grave amount of concern that the Biden administration isn't taking it seriously, particularly because it's just not locking down that border. Uh, How are you attacking that right now, the fentanyl crisis? Absolutely. And for all those who are listening, uh, one of the most deadly crises going on in our country right now is the absolute flood of fentanyl coming in. Uh, it's originally derived from China. A lot of the precursors, the ingredients, they start in China. They're shipped to Mexico to the Mexican drug cartels who put together the finished product. And then the fentanyl pills get flooded and other illicit products, of course, get flooded across the border into the American heartlands. They make their way to uh, states across the United States and into West Virginia, and people are dying. The body bags are lining up. So here's what we're trying to do. Number one, we're trying to shine the spotlight on this administration's failure to police the border, but their problems go much deeper than that. They're ignoring China's role in the process. We know that during the Trump administration, 
uh, President Trump had negotiated an MOU with China to try to block a lot of the fentanyl coming directly to the U.S. What we've seen now is a dramatic increase in that product and those ingredients diverted to Mexico and the Mexican drug cartels. So the first thing you have to do is point out China's role. It's exhaustive, it's deadly, it's by design, and we're going to get to the bottom of that. Then, of course, you have the Mexican drug cartels. Right now, the U.S. is not putting pressure on these Mexican drug cartels uh, to, to act and to the Mexican government. That's a huge issue because, John, as you know and all of your listeners know, uh, the Mexican drug cartels are profiting at the tune of $100 million per week on human trafficking. Wow. And they're shipping more of this deadly fentanyl across the border to kill every man, uh, woman, and child in America. And we have to stop that. So there's also a whole financial web that's going on, and it derives from China. It goes to Mexico, comes to the U.S. People are buying safe house. There are mules that they're sending across the border. And then ultimately, there are mules that are used in the financial collection of the monies that make their way back to Mexico. This is a really complex scheme, and the Biden administration is not only sleeping, they're derelict in their duty. So unfortunately, then it's left to the states to act. So we've been doing a broad investigation about what's going on with fentanyl. We've sued the Homeland Security Department because they have a role to play in policing the borders and trying to act in this area. But it's going to take a lot of work uh, from the DEA, from Homeland Security, Department of Justice, Department of State. And this is one of the biggest crimes that's occurring. And no one other than you and a few other the, the stations on the more conservative side are talking about that. And that's a real problem. It's a stunning toll. You, know, you hear 107,000 people died. It's the single largest cause for people between the ages of 18 and 45. It would be like a nuclear bomb hitting two cities the size of Charleston and wiping out their populations. That's how many people died from fentanyl and uh, um, uh, heroin last year. Think of that. Two cities just wiped out entirely. That's how many people. And yet the Biden administration ignores it as though it doesn't exist. It's it's a remarkable thing, uh, General, to, to see that. And I know you're you're right on that uh, cutting edge. And it, it's very interesting to see the progress you're already making. Other uh, AGs are joining along with you. Right. I, I, there, a lot of these states realize. Absolutely. I, I think what you. You're, you're exactly right, John. What they say is the same thing I say, that uh, the border problem to a lot of these places, these states across the country, it manifests itself through either the human trafficking or the drug problem, because every state's a border state because of those reasons. Yeah. And we've certainly seen a lot of death uh, directly related to the drugs and the illicit supply coming from across the border and also smuggled in through the ports of entry. But uh, there are a lot of issues to resolve. It's despicable that they're not doing it because it's growing in scope and we need to change that. But look, a lot of my colleagues and I, we're going to do everything within our power. We just have to make sure we convince uh, enough of the media to pay attention once they know what's going on. 
I'm hopeful that they can rise up and say uh, enough American lives are, have been lost. Yeah, that's it. Well, the education process is a big part of it. And you have been uh, really using your bullhorn to get people to understand just how deep a crisis this is. It's a remarkable statistic. And we're, we're grateful for the fight that you're putting in. Uh, you're leading another fight that a lot of people might not know about, but it is a remarkable expansion of government power without any legislative approval. There is a new uh, Biden SEC plan to basically target environmental, social and governance uh, issues, a new rule. So it's being done by executive fiat. You're taking the lead on trying to stop this, uh, what you call a woke agenda. Why is this such a big and dangerous expansion for, uh, for America? John, I think a lot of people know that there's been an increasing amount of pressure on corporate America and in these corporate boardrooms to uh, kowtow to the left's agenda. And people have tried to move the uh, institutional investment community. Uh, They've engaged in proxy fights. They've uh, fought in order to push corporations to move away from their core mission and get them to focus on uh, ESG-related issues, diversity, and many other uh, topics that uh, may be outside the core function of the company. Now, look, I think you could have underlying debates about the nature of all of these uh, issues, but the one thing that should be clear is that government is set up usually for a specific charge. What the Biden administration is trying to do is transform the SEC, which is always known to be a securities enforcer, and transform it so that it puts massive pressure on public companies to change how they handle environmental emissions. And that's a big problem, not only because it's not the role of the SEC and it's more of the role of an environmental regulator, but if you can start to put mandates in place for public companies, not only on mandate report of your direct uh, emissions or indirect emissions or what may happen downstream with your customers and vendors, you can start doing anything. You could start making rules, mandates relating to political contributions, to speech, as I mentioned, diversity, obesity, but that's not what the role of the SEC is all about. And it's a tool to enable broader, far left pressure to be brought to bear against these companies and to transform their nature. And we're not going to recognize a free market capital system when the enforcement arm starts to engage in agenda promoting. And that's what's occurring now. It's not right. And Congress needs to step up and make uh, decisions pertaining to uh, emissions and environmental matters, not your Securities Exchange Commission, which is supposed to look out for investors and future financial performance and material financial matters, not just woke agenda items. It's remarkable to see the expansion of the administrative state under this president. And one of the downstream uh, industries already hit hard, right? They're they're hit hard by the food shortages. They're hit hard by rising fertilizer prices, rising fuel prices. Now farmers would have to start collecting climate data and give it to public companies. How much of a stressor is that on farmers that are already stretched thin? Look, I think 
everyone is going to feel the impact of this proposal. And here's why farmers are going to be hit if you work for uh, any entity or company that ultimately ties back into a, a public company, your data may be needed for them. So put aside the literal impossibility of achieving that the right way. Uh, you could see it across the board. It's going to affect every public company in America and all their vendors. Even if you're a small business and you have contracts with a larger company, you're going to be pulled into this maelstrom as well. That's obviously a, a very serious issue. So that's what we're pushing back on. It will have a huge effect. It's not getting covered very much, um, but it's the type of issue that has the chance of really transforming and uh, moving away from our free market system. And that is something that's uh, very disconcerting. Yeah. And you you have, what, about 15 other attorneys general that are joining you. What's the next step? You, is it submitting comments as a, uh, a prelude to maybe a lawsuit? Correct. So we will be submitting comments on behalf of the 16th state coalition on June 16th. And, and let me tell you, a lot of my colleagues have been doing really good work. Uh, Daniel Cameron of Kentucky, he actually just issued a legal opinion relating to ESG and I the saw that, yeah. nature of what's going on. He's a good guy. And so uh, there are a lot of our colleagues, Mark Pernovich and Schmidt and, uh, and Landry, and a lot of these folks are, are taking on these fights. And Yoast of Ohio is doing some good things. I mean, listen, all the AGs are out in front trying to push back against what's happening. And it's occurring every day. Literally, the SEC, uh, the EPA, the HHS, the Department of Interior, every day there's a broad new uh, proposal, uh, more administrative burdens coming out of the Biden administration. It's hard to keep up with it. It's a target-rich environment, but uh, when the states work together, we can be very effective and at least win our fair share of these fights. Yeah, such an important uh, fight. And uh, the uh, you were at the forefront of this, but this is a moment. Of, uh, I think our founding fathers intended this, but this is like a revival of federalism and states' rights. The attorneys general are the leading edge of reasserting states' rights against a, a very large Washington government. And I know a lot of people have been impressed with the progress that you, you and your colleagues are making. You had a lot of wins in the courts. I mean, the Biden administration has not done well in the courts, has it? No, we've actually had a very good batting average. I think at one point we had won about eight of our last 10 uh, cases. You know, it's hard to keep track of how many cases there are. I think <laughs> exactly. We, we sued these guys a couple dozen times. Uh, but look, uh, we're correct on the law and we're going to keep going. And it's really important to defend America. And I think Americans realize right now it's up to the state attorneys general and the states to block what's coming out of Washington. John, the other point I would make is that what the state AGs and the states are doing is also critically important to the positive agenda that uh, Congress needs to consider when it wins back control of the House and the Senate, because we're doing a lot of work, for instance, to stress American energy independence and unleashing that production so that once again, we can be uh, secure, we can be independent, we're not going to be relying on the foreign resources. And that obviously improves your national security as well. And the other piece is obviously the role of the states going forward. I think a very important plank for Republicans is that decisions of major consequence uh, should always be looked at first by local communities and the states 
instead of the federal government. That retains the purpose, the original intent of the Constitution. And it's not easy, but it's what makes our country great. Yeah, it's such an amazing debate. It's our founding fathers intended us to have this debate, but you guys have invigorated it in a remarkable way since Joe Biden uh, became president. It's really remarkable to watch. Uh, I want to take it to one last place. There was this horrific tragedy, obviously, in uh, Texas at that school. Uh, everyone is going to look for some solution because we always do that in such a crisis. One of the um, one of the things everybody's talking about, in fact, I think Mitch McConnell has even authorized people to talk a little bit about it with the Democrats, see where they get some form of red flag laws. You have some concerns about the way at least the blue states have implemented red flag laws. Tell us that and then tell us what you think might be a better approach to increasing uh, school security. Absolutely. So first, I think, you know, a lot of times people in the wake of these tragedies, and let's start out by saying this is horrific and it um, it should never happen again. And there needs to be a lot more thought given to the security within the schools. I know some people are uh, concerned when you talk about hardening up the security at the schools, but that's needed because you have to put some checks in place and make people uh, think twice. But there's also a broader need to talk about the mental health condition of our country, of our kids, and the morals uh, that uh, they're operating under as well. This is a, a crisis of conscience in America, and we have to make sure that we're addressing the root causes, because whether someone has access to a gun or an explosive device or other types of things that can kill massive quantities of people at a time, at the end of the day, there's a deeply troubled and deeply disturbed, either insane or uh, very bad person behind one of these actions. We have to go to the root causes to not only identify those people, but to try to uh, make sure that through our uh, schooling process, through our mental health care system, that there's a close look and a review so we can actually help the people that need help the most. And I think there's been a lack of attention on the mental health needs of kids. And you know, part is our society's changed and there's been a shock to the system, whether through Hollywood or through um, a development of technology, uh, we have to kind of go back to some of the root causes where people feel the impact and know what it's like to be human, to grieve, and to know the impact of your actions. I will say this, too. With respect to red flag laws, I've always been deeply troubled by how they've been implemented because uh, I think it can represent an elimination of due process. One of the most cherished liberties that we have here in the United States is that People are generally presumed innocent uh, before being declared guilty. And if you shortcut the process to determine whether someone should be able to uh, possess uh, a gun or to exercise a constitutional right, that's a very, very serious concern. And so I don't like the shortcuts to the Constitution uh, because we know that it can lead to further deprivation of liberty and elimination of our freedoms. And we need to be very, very careful with that. And that's why I think a lot of what people are talking about with these red flag laws, there's some big problems potentially with them. 
Yeah, and, and then that, there's always a danger when someone does it knee-jerk, right? There ought to be a thoughtful moment. There was a lot of thought given to this issue back in 2007 when we had the horrific tragedy at Virginia Tech University. And I, we just look back. In fact, most of the recommendations have not been implemented, and almost all of the recommendations not implemented are right in the area that you focused your laser on, mental health. There's, just see, there's a fear to address mental health in America, uh, and it, it does seem to me that that's a big part of the, of the missing debate here. It'll be very interesting to see if we can get some bipartisan uh, agreement on that. Sir, it is an honor to always have you on. You're doing such amazing work, and uh, I want to thank you and also wish you an early uh, happy Memorial Day. Well, uh, thank you, and this is obviously such a, a wonderful holiday weekend where we thank all the people that came before us and who uh, died for the cause and for some of these issues that we're talking about for our constitution, our freedom, our republic, our way of life here in America. So we salute everyone who died for uh, the United States of America and we're deeply grateful as a nation for everything they did. Uh, That we are and we're grateful for your service to, to this great country as well, sir. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hey, thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Uh, You as well. All right, folks, we'll be right back after the commercial break with another great interview. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So proud to welcome this next guest to our show. He is the former secretary for the Veterans Administration. He's a Navy and Air Force veteran and one of the most innovative thinkers in the in the policy making space today. He is Peter O'Rourke. Mr. Secretary, good to have you on the show. Thank you, John. It's great to be back on your show again. Yeah, it's been a few months. It's great to have you on. I want to start. It's We're, we're heading into a very important holiday weekend, Memorial Absolutely. Day. Absolutely. We have a lot of uh, veterans who gave all, a lot of veterans who suffered uh, long-term consequences. Uh, your thoughts on this particular holiday? You know, John, this uh, you know, Memorial Day and Veterans Day are both 
um, very special to me personally, but I know to the to all Americans who understand what our service members have have sacrificed for us. Those that didn't come home, those that did come home, and for me, you know, my ritual for this weekend is a lot of reflection. You know, don't do a lot of a lot of things because it's just a it's a quiet holiday for me. Uh, it's nice uh, to to have uh, not a lot of uh, outward constraints on us uh, as we do when we're in public service, but uh, but really try to remember and think about what folks have sacrificed for us. And and you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Memorial Day without thinking about the the Memorial Day concert. Um, it's great when DC kind of clears out a little bit, gets a little quiet, and people shift their focus and and look at uh, whether it's Arlington, uh, whether it's walking up and down the mall, but definitely ending up. Uh, near the Capitol and hearing folks uh, honor our you know, veteran service members, active reserve um, from each service. It's wonderful. And I, I'd love to watch you know, the leadership that Gary Sinise has taken in that, uh, that role of keeping that concert sure going, has. even through, through COVID. Yeah, it's just been great. And what he does with this foundation has just been amazing. So yeah. it's a special holiday. Yeah, that it is. And uh, there's lots of sacrifice to honor for sure. And um, uh, this will be uh, the first holiday since we lost those 13 troops in Afghanistan. So another solemn day to remember the sacrifices. So you uh, do a lot of innovative work. And when I think of you, I think of innovation. That word just always comes to mind. You've got a couple of companies that are really taking on some of the most important issues of our time. Uh, TCI Partners is one of them. I want to talk a little bit about that. And then Western Magnesium Corporation. Uh, we've got a, a shortage of rare earth metals in this country. It sounds like you uh, have your finger in both of those. What's, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in the private sector. Sure. Thanks, John. No, it's, um, you know, as my background I, in the Air Force, I was a logistics officer and um, worked a lot of these issues, even even back then in the early 2000s of, you know, making sure that the, the United States has multiple sources of supply um, for, for everything, really, but specifically those items and those uh, minerals, metals, things that that make our military go, that make our economy go. And uh, really, it's been exciting over the past year. Been been working at uh, Western Magnesium Corporation, uh, running our U.S. operations, and um, we'll be bringing, I, I believe, another solution. Uh, there's a lot of great people working in this space right now um, to try to reverse. Uh, I think our lessons learned from um, now that globalism may not work the way that we we wanted it to work, and domestic supply chains taking precedent now over global supply chains, given whether it's transportation issues or you know, actors, state actors that uh, we don't get along with as much as we do. So Western Magnesium, we've been um, working on technology for, for over a decade to, uh, to, to really give us the opportunity here in the U.S. to domesticate the production of magnesium metal uh, in, a, in a capacity that meets our needs in an environmentally responsible and ecologically sound way that doesn't pollute, um, you know, magnesium metal. Most metals in general, especially rare earth metals, are really hard to, to manufacture. And, um, you know, we're, we're on the cutting edge of finding a, a, a new solution and setting a new standard for, uh, for those kind of clean ways of producing these things. So, and so, uh, so very excited about that. Um, it's into, you know, really the whole innovation, uh, as you said, the mindset and, uh, and just challenging status quo and, and saying, you know, we can do things better and we should do things better. So let's do things better. 
and uh, had the same approach with, with VA when we were there, same approach a lot of folks have in government. And um, so it's been uh, exciting to do that in the, in the private sector here the last uh, year or so. Yeah, it is. Fresh thinking. That's what we need. And you've, you've always been on the forefront of that. One of the great innovations of the Trump administration on your watch when you were both chief of staff and then uh, secretary was uh, the move towards giving veterans more choice for the health care options, particularly if they live farther away in rural areas or because of the long line and wait times. What has happened to the momentum on choice since Joe Biden uh, became president? You know, unfortunately, John, that's been, um, you know, that's been a really sad thing to watch. Uh, as you know, um, during the Trump administration, really at the beginning, um, as he promised, we, uh, we worked on and got the Mission Act uh, signed into law, um, had great bipartisan support, a lot, of, a lot of good energy and good momentum into moving us toward the concept that veterans and their immediate caregiver are the best decision makers for their health care. And, you know, we'd, we'd had reasons why, whether it was, you know, draw a circle and say, you know, traveling more than 40 miles isn't good, or, you know, whether the available care, best care for that veteran was at that VA facility or not, maybe it was in the community. The problem with that is, is you know, at VA with, with their bureaucracy like that is, it's a program. There's programmatics, there's analytics, there's, you know, how to make our, our internal processes more efficient. And I think what we lose a lot of times, and, and you know, a good on some of our, our elected leaders to say, look, this should start and end with the veteran. But when you try to take that and boil it into uh, the way a bureaucracy works, it's antithetical. I mean, it's hard for career folks in the VA to say, we're going to turn our whole system upside down. Right. And, and reorientated around a veteran. Even, you know, there's great bumper stickers for this. There's, whether it's customer service or, you know, or, you, know you know, orientation, all these great buzzwords, great, great consulting work on this. But when you really boil it down, it's upsetting and up, overturning decades of, of the way things have always been done. And so what we've seen now um, since the Biden administration's come in, and, and I don't think it's by chance that we have a secretary who I think has very good intention, um, especially since he got to personally experience a lot of what, what resulted in uh, some of the scandals uh, from 2014. Right. He's obviously the chief of staff. He, he took a, uh, you know, he was asked to, or he's, I think directed to take a personal interest in getting that situation sorted out. It resulted in the, in the Choice Act, a lot of great work by folks on a Republican controlled uh, House Veterans Committee. But He's very intimately involved in that. He's there now. And unfortunately, we're seeing the signs of the same thing happening again. Now, I don't, I don't think that's something maybe he wants to see, but it's happening. I mean, when we look at the facts, we're looking at, you know, 19.7 million delayed, rescheduled, canceled appointments. You know, 57% negative health care consequences due to delayed care. Shutting down the Mission, Care, Mission Act website, uh, announcing uh, that they're decommissioning uh, the Office of Community Care, although they say they're, they're reconstituting in something else. But it's this, you know, movement away from what we all agreed to, Democrats, Republicans, uh, the VA, uh, all agreed to saying we're going to give veterans more choice, the right choices 
and really put the control of their health care, give them their freedom back and, and put it back in their hands. And, and we're just not seeing that. I mean, between, you know, FOIAs being recently done over the past uh, past year that have shown these these facts and and really just some of the you know, cases that we're hearing from the field, whether it's from employees of the VA, whether it's from from patients, it seems like we're seeing the same indicators, although in 2014, you know, prior to 2014, we didn't know what this was going to result in. Now we know this results in wait lists, secret wait lists, and then ultimately folks having very negative, uh, a very negative impact on their lives sometimes of, of what can happen when an organization starts just becoming more and more insular, that the group think really starts to take over. And it's all in that we've got to make our program, you know, we got to look at the programmatics and they start convincing themselves that they're making the right decisions. When in fact, they're moving more and more away from what veterans need. And that's working with their healthcare provider, whether it's a VA healthcare provider or their own healthcare provider and getting the best care for them. And, uh, and we're just seeing over and over again, decisions being made, uh, programs being reversed, and, uh, and really just uh, the, the same kind of disappointing trajectory. But there is good news. Um, John, I mean, when you look at what uh, Representative Boast has been talking about, what Senator Blackburn's been talking about, we've now recognized the signals. We know now what can happen when we see you know, the VA specifically moving away from putting this in the hands of veterans when it comes to their health care. And so we've already seen some very positive words being said, but also actions being taken. And I've got to highlight, I mean, Representative Boast is, is putting together uh, an act called the Guaranteeing Healthcare Access to Personnel Who Served Act. Right. I'm going to try to say what that acronym is, but, uh, but <laughs> you can see that movement, which is good. Yeah, and is. we see, obviously, Senator Blackburn talking about the Veterans Health Care Freedom Act, which I'm really excited about because it really talks about moving VA to what we call full choice, which really is what most of us experience in the healthcare community already to some degree where if I want to go get health care from a specific place at a specific time, I can go do that or I can try to go do that. There's always challenges in healthcare with shortages, those kind of things, especially with covid but I can do that. I can make that. I can be determined to go make that happen as a as an individual citizen. Where at VA, if I'm subject to that system, I have to wait. I have to convince both my doctor or a bureaucrat uh, administrator to allow me the privilege to exercise the freedom that I that I have by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. It's so simple, and yet it seems so complicated. Why is it that this agency, culturally or otherwise, hasn't been able to sustain success? It has bursts, right, of moments after 2014. There were some improvements, certainly in the time that the Trump administration was there. There were improvements, but it always seems to decelerate into bureaucratic bungling. Uh, what is it that you learned about the agency that makes it prone to that? John, that's a, that's a great question, and I I would have answered that question probably a different way if we had talked about this before we had a certain event. We had a certain leader on the administrative side, obviously, you know, works on the, in the administration in a sense, right. make a statement that, that surprised me so much, but yet it explained so much. I mean, I would have told you before that bureaucracies just naturally work this way. Yes. They're kind of insular. There's all these programmatic things. 
But I think Dr. Fauci actually gave us the insight that we really needed to understand what's really going on. I mean, Dr. Fauci told us, I mean, he said, why in the world, now I'm paraphrasing him, but he says, why in the world does a court think that they have a role in the way the government operates? Why does a judge think that she can tell us that we can't make a decision and force every United States citizen to do a certain thing? And that that judge shouldn't even have a role in that. What he's saying, John, is that there is no rule of law when it comes to bureaucracies. Now, that was a big surprise to me because I remember, you know, when I was at VA, I mean, we had laws that we had to adhere to, some we agreed to, some we didn't agree to. When I was in the military, John, same way. I mean, there was, you know, whether it was the Uniform Code of Military Justice or whether it was the, the direction of the commander in chief, when the citizenry spoke through their elected officials and decisions were made, laws were passed, the government had to adhere to those. And yet what we learned was, no, 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 you were mistaken. When it comes to healthcare, when it comes to things that I, Mr. Fauci, am expert on, you have to do what I tell you to do. Laws be damned. And that really, I mean, I remember hearing that, con- I remember hearing that statement and, you know, the news report on it, and I was just like, this is a lot more significant than I think people are giving us credit, giving Mr. You know, Dr. Fauci credit for, because he is really telling us exactly the way bureaucracies, what motivates bureaucracies to think the way they do. And, and that hubris, that um, sort of disconnection from where this all comes from. I mean, at VA, I, you know, that was the thing that I, that I kind of focused on. It's like, look, we're here to make changes because, you know, 60 plus million people voted for a president who said, I'm going to go to VA and do these things. And so I just thought it was OK. Well, we had laws. We, we, we had the executive orders. We had the president tell us to do things. So we go to VA and say, OK, we're going to do these things because the people have demanded it. And to have an organization say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. We do what we choose to do. And then we tell citizens what they do. And I was like, that, this is just completely backwards. But that was the attitude. And I never could understand where that came from because I had worked in government before. I'd been, I mean, I've been an even more restrictive organization like the military where you do what you're told. And sometimes what you're told is not um, exactly uh, uh, what freedom, you know, freedoms you, you uh, had when you were a citizen. Uh, or well, you're still a citizen, but when freedoms that you experienced when you were not in the military. But that's that's what we had there. And so I think uh, I, I thank Dr. Fauci for, for publicly stating the way I believe most organizations. I don't think this is restricted just to Health and Human Services, the VA. I think this is probably prevalent, uh, prevalent in, um, in lots of organizations when it comes to, to the government. But um, but now we know it needs to really change. So. Yeah. Now, now I think the insights are there and folks that go into the next administration, congressmen and women that go into the into the new Congress next year. Yeah, they've got a roadmap, don't they? They, they, they do. And, I, and I've had this conversation with some representatives and I was like, guys, uh, you know, the oversight that you guys need to do um, next year when you know, obviously when Republicans take back the House and, and hopefully the Senate um, needs to be very, very specific and much more. Uh, informed. And there's really no reason why it can't be. Uh, and I get, get a lot of responses, positive responses. I said, and then once you start that oversight process, you've got to finish it. You have to take it to its, its end. You can't do it for a little while, get some headlines, think you're getting some progress, and then shift the focus to something. Yeah. To see these things through all the way to the end. 
Now, is that impeachment? I don't, I, I don't know what the, what the end results are going to be, but I do know that when, you know, when Congress does their job, the administrations and the executive uh, and the, uh, the bureaucracies start paying attention. It takes a little while, but they start paying attention. Yeah. And, um, there was an amazing uh, memo from the VA Inspector General just a couple of days ago, uh, I mean, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, basically saying that in the last year since Biden took over, they're manipulating uh, the data to make the wait times look less than they are. And they're not following the standards that you put in place that you know flow from the, the law that came out of the 2014. The idea that there's hocus pocus math on something as important as wait times for patients, which by the way, just isn't an inconvenience. It can be a medical crisis if someone's waiting too long for urgent care. Uh, what Were you surprised to see the, the, the inconsistency in how they were calculating the times? John, I was surprised that the IG actually came out and said, honestly, uh, we've been we've been looking at this uh, for the last two years. Um, obviously, during COVID uh, and even during the Trump administration, you started seeing some of this uh, um, uh, numbers going up when it comes to wait times and things like this. There was some excusability for that during COVID, although I think we could argue that uh, some of the decisions made there on, on the shutdowns and things like that weren't the right decisions. Sure. But I mean, we're looking at 41.9 day average days to get community care right now. Those numbers don't move that quickly uh, without the, the telltale signs and without programmatic changes and, and intentional decisions being made by administrators that start to drive this, right? I mean, these are averages that it takes a while to move averages, sure. even with the, the millions of appointments that we see. But yep. when you then cancel appointments and you strip data out of those numbers, you're right. The playing with this really gets to be uh, an issue. And why I'm surprised, um, but maybe I should just be thankful that the IG is bringing this up now is because, again, we know where this goes to. And, and I keep hitting this drum is in, I, I don't understand why VA believes that they can. Well, we'll get it right this time sort of attitude about playing with numbers. You can't you're, you're going to result in the same place you were headlines, investigated reporters talking about uh, w- you know, whistleblower disclosures, all these kind of things leading up to there's veterans dying in hallways because you've got a, you know, a, a, a little private wait list under your desk that you keep the real data. In. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Were all those stories true? No, but, but that's all we were talking about. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the greatest healthcare anywhere. It was, Who's dying in a VA hospital today? And that's just not acceptable. And it's not even necessary in the sense of what we've been given for tools. We have the Mission Act. We have, you know, healthcare partners. We've got all these things. There's just no excuse for it other than, uh, like I said, it's an insular programmatic view of things that just starts to disregard your, the whole reason why you're working at the VA, which is the veteran. And, uh, and it seems like that's being forgotten again. Good on the VA. Uh, good on the VAIG for for bringing that up. I hope that uh, Congress does a lot with that data, and and really tries to drill into it and get answers, and then follow up on those answers, uh, because that's that's what's usually missing. They'll get an answer. They'll get a you know they'll they'll haul in the secretary, they'll haul in the undersecretary for health, they'll haul in these people yep. into a hearing. They'll say a lot of things. They'll say I'll get back to you. 
I'll circle back or whichever they want to use. Yep. And they have all is. of their uh, rehearsed terms, don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I having done a, a few of those hearings, uh, I don't know if I had enough time to prep all those kind of things. Uh, I just wanted to lay out the facts and, um, and so it's been uh, it's been interesting to watch those those going forward. But um, but hopefully, like I said, I mean, no one wants to see us go that 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 route again. Unfortunately, it seems like we are. But hopefully, you know, hopefully the cavalry's coming, and uh, we'll see a, a new crop of, uh, of veterans in in the House of Representatives and others. I mean, we've got uh, some great America First guys like uh, like Max Miller and J.D. Vance and these others. Political stuff, politics aside, and we still have races, and I don't like to get too much involved in those. But it's going to be refreshing, I think, to have new voices, fresh minds that have a veteran experience that can start looking at some of these issues and and hopefully be fearless about them as well. Yeah, that's key. You got to you got to be uh, unafraid to find what's wrong. Right. You got to say, hey, listen, there's going to be something here. Let's get to it. But if you're afraid to find what's wrong because you're afraid of the repercussions, you never get to the bottom of it. And I think that mentality really permeates Washington. Let's not really find out what's wrong here. Let's kind of dance around it. And uh, it's it's you know, that's what made you so unique. You got right to the facts. And now we're seem to be back in that. I want to ask you about one last thing that came up because Senator Joni Ernst, a veteran herself, of course, um, sent a letter just a few weeks ago uh, saying, hey, VA, no taking money away from our incredible veterans to pay for things at the open border. Were you shocked to find out that the VA had a plan to maybe divert some of its resources to help the border crisis? Um, unfortunately, John, I wasn't. Um, when, I, when I heard that story uh, prior to, to Senator Ernst's letter, I already knew, you know, once you hear it, you kind of know what's coming. We saw a similar thing happen when we had the, the storms uh, in Texas. Uh, we have a mission at the VA. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, an add-on mission, they call it. But we would help in times of national crisis. And it's, it's a, you know, red, you know, it's a throw up the balloon, break glass in case of emergency kind of, uh, kind of role that the VA can play. I think that speaks more to the border issue, doesn't it, John? I mean, if if this administration is saying this is a crisis, this is an emergency, that we've got to go to the extraordinary length of having our Department of Veterans Affairs resources, both monetary, I'm sure, that, you know, there's there's some contracting work going on, sure. but also yeah, doctors right. and nurses, yeah, going, you know, stepping away from care for veterans to care for illegal aliens. I mean, it's it's... I understand it. I mean, I, I get that there's need, but like by definition, this is a crisis and emergency. But then on the other side of the argument, John, then you see, no, 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 there's no emergency. There's no crisis. Well, those two things don't match. And I think, I think Senator Ernst is very, very right to ask the question. And I hope others do too, is if we're going to use these emergency powers to help issues at the border, then why aren't we calling the issue at the border, the crisis and emergency that it is, that we all know that it is. Uh, it's it's a really interesting uh, uh, move by the administration. I understand maybe why, again, the programmatics of it. I understand, you know, reallocation of resources, those kind of things. But what it says and what it should say to the American people is, you're right. You're right to think that there's price at the border because the Biden administration agrees with you and they're taking the actions they need to take to address a crisis. The problem is, is that, you know, the, the VA is probably not in the right position. You know, we know that 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 resources in the sense of human capital are fleeing the VA now. Um, that's just going to accelerate. 
And again, we're not going to see this today. We might not see it tomorrow, but we're going to start seeing this, this, this overtime degradation of the resources and the capabilities of the VA. We're going to see bad decisions compounded by bad decisions, compounded by even more bad decisions at both the local level and the administration level. And then we're going to be right back where we were in 2014, trying to dig our way out of this problem. But again, the good thing is, is we have the tools. And if we, you know, if we get the right kind of oversight in 22 and, and or in next year and beyond, and then when we look forward to a new administration uh, after, uh, after the 24 elections, you know, hopefully somebody will, will really be doing some work and effort in a, in a roadmap and a blueprint for how we're going to turn the VA around unfortunately, turn it around again, um, whether that's Mr. Trump, whether that's Mr. DeSantis, or Governor DeSantis or, or whomever it is. It really doesn't matter. And frankly, it's, it needs to be, you know, Democrats uh, need to be thinking the same thing. They do. Yep. You know, the great thing about the Republican side now, you look at some of the potential 2024 candidates, they're always talking about veterans. And I think that that's such an important thing that it's on their radar, because a lot of times, uh, you, you know, particularly in this administration, you won't hear about veterans issues at all. But a lot of the Republican candidates keep that issue on the forefront right now. One last thing as we go into this, because one of the exciting parts in the veterans world today is the number of small businesses that are starting up veteran owned businesses, veteran run businesses. It's one of the great ways that veterans who've come back from war reintegrate and find success back here in America after all they did for us. Um, how good do you feel that we're creating a pipeline of successful entrepreneurs uh, from, our, from our great veterans uh, resources? John, it really is great to see. I mean, whether, you know, whether it's the, the small coffee company that then goes public and, yep. and, you know, becomes just sort of this great brand to authors. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm reading some, some books by some, uh, uh, some veteran authors, uh, Jack Carr, some others. I mean, it just, and then you see somebody like that didn't get the movies produced or then they get movie rights. It's all this great stuff. You know, what I think most exciting about it is just that it's, that it's cool to be a veteran owned business. I mean, yeah. there, there's a branding opportunity for that. I mean, you know, I remember as a, as a young enlisted guy in the Navy coming back after my first uh, deployment to the Persian Gulf and, you know, it was on the West coast and it was just this feeling I had never experienced before. Now I was 18. I didn't know what experiences were, that kind of stuff. And over time, as you understand what, you know, unfortunately what, what our veterans and service members came back from, you know, whether it was Korea or Vietnam and, and just, you know, wanting to hide their uniform and, and just disassociate. You know, it, 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 it's not one person that, that got, gets to take credit for any of this, but to see that you can wear your veteran status as a, as a, as a true badge of honor, yeah. and, and that's what we're building on, I'm really looking forward to, to the future of those where, you know, yeah, we're always going to have issues, and there's always going to be the problems to deal with, and, and whether it's healthcare, whether it's mental health, whether it's you know, uh, uh, benefits, all these things, there's always going to be issues to deal with. But, but I'm really encouraged on that part. And it's encouraging to see a, a younger generation step into that and be unafraid, start businesses, be part of the economy, you know, be active, be you know, getting into politics as well. You know, we're seeing uh, a lot more veteran candidates get involved, both parties. I mean, it, whether, you know, we can get down into the dirty of, of, of policy and stuff like that, but really just seeing people step forward and um, and for that part, I'm I'm grateful. I mean, I've I've seen this sort of develop in, in my short time of watching this since the first Persian Gulf War uh, to now. I, I talk to folks that that have been around since the you know Vietnam era and see you know getting their perspective and 
and looking at how they view this. But everybody's very positive about it. And that's the exciting part. I even see it too. I mean, uh, you know, I've gotten to see on the financing side and on the market side, that appreciation really, I mean, hardcore investment bankers and, and folks that, uh, you know, have a lot more experience in the financial industry than I do, but they recognize uh, the, 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 the advantages of veterans of that brand of that, you know, what service means and they've been able to interpret it into their world. And that's very exciting because I don't think, I don't know, but I'd never, I'd never seen any of that before. Um, and, uh, and that's been really exciting to see as well. It really is. And there's some interesting debates going on in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin, who's really put a focus on veterans issues, every, everything from tax cuts uh, or on the first $40,000 of income. He's working to get that done to other things. A really interesting lab. You can do too much for veterans when it comes to that. And, so and states true. really, it's great to see Youngkin take a lead on that, whether it's property tax relief, yep. income tax relief for, for uh whether it's, you know, uh, uh, retirement income, those kind of things. I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. I mean, he obviously has a lot of experience on the business side. Looking forward to seeing what he's going to do uh, with just what we talked about, with bringing uh, veteran-owned businesses and supporting them. We've always kind of had that around the D.C. area with on the contracting side. Right. But what I'm really excited about is seeing more more veteran businesses in the real economy, not the not the government contracting world. That, that's always going to have its place. It's good to see, you know, uh, having all that. But, but really seeing people... Uh, going into where you're, you're truly making your business or you're going out of business and getting a job, not not the government contracting world where um, it's, a, it's a little different of a dynamic. It sure is. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Mr. Secretary, it is always an honor to have you on. Thank you for your service, too, because you, you have served this country so ably, both in the military and in the VA and now in the private sector. And uh, we wish you a very happy Memorial Day. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And, uh, and to you and yours and all the listeners and uh, you know, take a minute to, to think about uh, a veteran. And if you know one, give him a call, uh, give him or her a call, reach out to him. Um, you know, we, we didn't talk about it today, but, you know, the suicide issue has not gone away. No, it uh, hasn't. We don't talk about it as much as we should, and we really will need to because I think that's going to come back. So, like I said to, to folks at the Disabled Veterans of America when I, when I talk to them, just if you know somebody, just reach out because there's no program there's no, there's no magic bullet for that. It's just going to be, you know, individuals reaching out to people that they know, connecting with them, knowing, you know, let them know that you're there, that you, that you care about them, that you love them, that, that you're you know, appreciative of them, and, uh, and just try to do that regularly. It is such an important thing. We need to do it every day because uh, the, the, the toll that that is taking is as great as was what we lost on the battlefield. And it is a remarkable dynamic, but you're right. It's so easy to just make a phone call and make a difference. So thanks for reminding of that, sir. Absolutely. All right. Have a great weekend, folks. We're going to come back in a few seconds and wrap things up for the day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. Thank you for joining us today. Big thanks to Secretary O'Rourke and to Attorney General Morrissey. Those are pretty substantive interviews. A lot to glob onto, a lot to learn from the work that they're doing. That's why we have the conversations we do on this show. All right, folks, before you go into the weekend, before you go yonder, remember all of the great partners, all of the great advertisers, all the great sponsors that make this show possible, make the Justin News brand and our reporting possible. Every day I try to do this, give you one great partner that can jump into the void and help you do something better with a great service, a great product. And one of those is Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. They are the HR professionals that give you a very cost-effective, high-quality HR department. If you're a small business like me, like I run, here at Just the News, one complaint is all it takes to turn your world upside down, change your finances, change your approach. The good news is Bambi's there to help you prevent that. They help small business owners implement the best HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours and mine, so you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. That's right. And guess what? It doesn't break the bank. You can get your own dedicated HR manager for as little as $99 a month. That's a bargain. It's unbelievable. And there's no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You run your business, let Bambi run your HR. That's a great deal. If you want to learn more about that, because you, like myself, run a business, Go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E.com slash Just News right now for your free HR audit. It's a real simple thing to get started. It doesn't cost you a penny. You can figure out how Bambi might be able to help you. So again, go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E.com slash Just News to get that audit started today. Why not? Make your life easier. Focus on winning in business. Leave the HR to Bambi. All right, folks, that wraps it up. Have a blessed weekend. Remember, on Sunday, we'll have our regular show. Monday memorial day special on the podcast lots of great voices on that one including taya kyle who of course is the wife of chris kyle the great veteran who gave his life is the focus of the american sniper movie we also have joe kent a candidate for congress in the west coast up in the washington area who is 11 times deployed as a special operator in the military before he started in politics and who lost his wife a remarkable story of her sacrifice on the battlefield as well in Syria. Tragic but inspiring story from Joe Kent. Great guests all around. We'll be back Tuesday with a regular edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless you and happy Memorial Day. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. 
Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z -Pak. The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.